Today's reading is Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we have the opportunity to hear uh, from someone that I'm excited to speak to us. Uh, Many of us are familiar with this person in one way or the other. Uh, I first met Dr. Sunukin as a professor, uh, a professor of homiletics at Talbot School of Theology. And I would say that of uh, many of the people that I took classes from, many of the professors, I, there's a lot of wisdom that I gleaned just in the times we talked about Scripture. In fact, there are probably uh, two different passages in, that I quote Dr. Sunukian on when I speak about them because I remember them fondly. Uh, and so he's familiar in that role as a professor to many of us, but he's also uh, familiar to many of us because he's spoken here before and he's a friend and we call him Don and yet others here call him dad and grandpa. And probably the best compliment that I could pay to Don is that while I have seen him as a wise person through what he's taught me, I've gained more wisdom in hearing his children and his, in, his sons and daughters-in-laws speak about wisdom. So I want you to know that there are things and lessons in life that I have learned. And even last night I mentioned one to Eric. Uh, words of wisdom that I live by because of what they've said to you. And so I'm excited for us to to hear from Don today because he's a man of wisdom and it has played out in generations throughout his family, which is the best compliment I think I could pay you in that. So thank you for coming. Thank you for speaking to us. It's nice to come to a church when there are, are so many cute children that call me grandpa. A while ago, I heard about a college student who had this message on his answering machine. Hi, this is Rick. I can't come to the phone right now. If you're my landlord, I already sent the money. If you're one of my parents, please send money. If you're one of my friends, you owe me money. If you're a female, I have plenty of money. (laughs) Money's a big part of our lives. We have lots of thoughts about it. Good thoughts, necessary thoughts, worthwhile thoughts. Thoughts such as, my daughter needs braces. The car needs new tires. How much did my IRA get this last quarter? 
What should we budget for Christmas? The economy is doing well. Maybe the company will give raises this year. Lots of thoughts, good thoughts, worthwhile thoughts. But Jesus tells us there's one thought that ought to be uppermost in our mind whenever we think about money. Whenever the thought of money comes up, there is one thought about it that ought to dominate all other thoughts. It ought to be the most important thought about money that we have. He's going to tell us what this one thought is, and then he's going to give us two reasons why that should be the uppermost thought in our mind. He's going to say, here is what you should think, first of all, about your money. And if this is the uppermost thought that you have, here are two two benefits that will come to your life. Here are the two reasons, the two benefits that that will come if you have this as a dominant thought. So today, let's learn, turn to see what that dominant thought is and what are the two reasons or benefits as to why that should be our first thought. We're going to turn to Matthew 6, the passage we just read. Uh, and if you're going to use the Bible in front of you, it will be on page 811. 811. And I'll give you time to find it. 811. Matthew 6. Page 811, or Matthew 6. The dominant thought, the most important thought that we should have about our money, Jesus is going to say, is this. What is my money doing for God? Ahead of concerns about what my money is doing for myself, and there are good things that our money does for ourselves, I care first of all about what is my money doing for God? That's my first thought. This is what he's saying in Matthew 6, the first phrases of verse 19 and verse 20. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't let that be the dominant thought. Instead, verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Care more about treasures in heaven. Care more about what your money's doing for God. Now, don't misunderstand. God's not against us spending money on ourselves. He's not against us buying things, enjoying the good things of life. In fact, the scripture says that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. The scripture says God gives us all things richly to enjoy. The Bible also says that we ought to be prudently thinking about the latter years and we ought to lay up resources for when our income stream, we are no longer able to go out and to generate it, and we ought to have some kind of retirement. The Bible says, go look at the ant. During the time when she can gather, she does, because when the weather stops her from doing it, she has something to eat. So the Bible is not against prudence and planning and enjoying the good things of life. What Jesus is saying is that although we have all of those good and necessary thoughts, There ought to be one thought higher than all of those. And that thought is treasures in heaven. What is my money doing for God? I care more about that than I do about these, okay? It it becomes very clear if we look down in verse 24 that this is what he's talking about, okay? In verse 24, he's saying we make a choice about which one we care most about, okay? No one can serve two masters, You can't do that. You cannot equally 
serve two masters, okay? You, you end up making a choice, okay? He either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot equally serve two masters. You cannot serve equally God and money. You have to opt for one or the other. You do opt for one or the other. It just instinctively occurs. There's something in you that has made a choice as to which one is the most important. Now, don't be disturbed by the language of hate one and despise the other. Uh, Jesus is simply doing what was often done in the language of his day. Whenever you wanted to make a comparison or a contrast, in order to separate them, you exaggerated the language, okay? Uh, you, you see this other places in the Bible. Uh, unless you hate father and mother, you cannot be my disciple. Okay? Now, we know Jesus doesn't want us to hate. You know, <laughs> I hate you. I mean, the Bible, hey, one of the Ten Commandments is honor. I mean, of all human relationships, that was the highest. But what Jesus is saying, compared to the devotion and commitment and loyalty to me, uh, they're just on the other end, okay? And that's what he's saying here. That when you serve, and if you have two masters, you can't equally do it. You end up going with one and not going with the other, okay? I mean, for a while, when I was younger, I worked for two masters. Uh, they were equal owners, 50-50 partnership in a garage and service station. I was the employee, one of the employees. I was part-time, okay? One of them said to me, Don, Saturday, come in in the morning. Later that day, the other one said to me, Don, Saturday, Come in in the afternoon. When I got there, one of them would say, want you out in the front, putting gas in the cars, doing the windshield, full service. I'm out there putting gas in the car. The other one says, hey, somebody else can do that. Come back under here under the lubrac. We're going to take care of these ball bearings, drain the oil. One of them would say to me, here's the cars to the green Buick. Drive it up to Holliston, and Mrs. Sturdivant will drive you back. It's her car, and she'll pay her bill and drop you back off and go. I'm about ready to get into the green car with it. Where are you going? Well, green car, Sturdivant. No, no, no. We got a problem in the restaurant. Here's a bucket and a mop. Come on in. You cannot serve two masters. You have to make a choice. Since one of them was my father, the choice was easy. Okay. Now, Jesus is saying, you and I, we make a choice. There is something in us that either cares more about treasures in heaven, what is my money doing for God, or there's something in us that cares more about my stuff and expanding my lifestyle and accumulation. Now, Jesus says, your first thought, your dominant thought, treasures in heaven. Now you say, how do I know? You say, I do give to the Lord. But I also have a big screen TV. I have an iPhone. We take nice vacations. My kids dress nice. I, 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 I do both. How do I know which one is dominant? 
In the Old Testament, a godly man or godly woman, they had a very confident way of knowing that their first thought was for God. They had a way of being absolutely sure that they cared more, most of what their money was doing for God and not for themselves. And the way they had it in the Old Testament is through a series of tithes. There was a sequence of three tithes that they followed in the Old Testament. And by following these three tithes, they could conclude at the end, our heart really does care, most of all, about what our money is doing for God. When we think of tithes, which is 10%, we tend to think of the first tithe. In fact, we think probably that was the only tithe. We say to ourselves in the Old Testament, they gave a tithe. They gave 10%. No, in the Old Testament, they gave three tithes. Let me kind of explain it and show it to you. The first tithe that they gave was the one that we are familiar with. It was a worship tithe. They gave 10% of their income, whatever their crops or herds or trees or orchards produced, 10% of their income they gave to the sanctuary of the Lord in Jerusalem. It was a worship tithe. It supported the priests. It bought the wood and animals that were used for sacrifice. It replenished the oil. It baked the bread. It basically sustained the worship of the Lord in Israel. And this is the one that we are most familiar with. And so they would, and here was how God had put it, bring the whole tithe, the entire 10%, bring it into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, says the Lord, okay? Trust me in this. See if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing to you, you won't have room enough for it. I will protect your income stream. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops. The vines in your field, they will not prematurely cast out their fruit to the ground before it's ripe enough for you to heart. Test me and see if I don't pour out this kind of an economic blessing. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. And so in the Old Testament, they would tithe 10%. And they would subtract that 10%. And they would have 90 left of their income. That was the first tithe. But then they tithed again on that 90. And this time, a 10% of 90 turns out to be 9. And they would tithe a second time. And the second tithe was a celebration tithe. This one we're not as familiar with, but you find it in the book of Deuteronomy. God said to them, once a year, after you have tithed for the worship, tithe again and take that entire amount of stuff. Take it down to Jerusalem and in one joyful celebration feast, consume it, eat it. Take your whole family, bring, in, bring the priests who are there and joyfully acknowledge how rich I have made you that you can, that such a good God has enabled us to have such great joy, a celebration tithe. You read about it in the book of Deuteronomy. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat that tenth. Your grain, your wine, your oil, whatever your animals are bearing, the firstborn, eat it in the presence of the Lord your God 
at whatever place he will choose. When you go into the land, Moses is saying, he's going to choose some place in the land for the dwelling for his name. And that will bring you into the joy of honoring your God who has been so good to you. Now, if it turns out that the place that the Lord is going to choose is too far away from you, if that place is too distant, and you've been blessed by the Lord your God, and you cannot carry that much stuff a hundred miles because it's too far away, all right, then in your local community, exchanged all of that stuff for money. Take the silver with you. Go to the place where the temple will be, and there turn the silver back into stuff. Use the silver to buy whatever you like. Filet mignon, rack of lamb, wine, other fermented drink, anything you wish. This is a joyful celebration. You and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God. You will rejoice that he has made you so rich. In our family, we take our five children and 18 grandchildren down to a place south of Rosarita, Mexico. And one week during the summer, uh, we consume pretty much a tithe of my income. (laughs) (laughs) And it is the most joyful memory our family has. This was the second time. But they came a third time. They came to that 81 and they tithed it again. And this time, this was a welfare tithe. This was the tithe that they deposited in the local community chest, the local United Way. It was their local area to support the widows, the orphans, whoever was undergoing some kind of economic stress. Uh, And so they would tithe this one a a third time. But this tithe, they only did it every third year. And so we need to divide the 8.1 by 3. And we come out with roughly a 2.7. And God had commanded that this is what they were to do. At the end of every third year, okay, every three years, again, you have a tithe. And this time you bring the tithe and you store it in your own local towns so that the immigrants, okay, the fatherless, the orphans, the widows, the the impoverished, the marginalized ones who live in your own local area, they have a place where they can come and they can get the food and they can eat and be satisfied. And if you'll do this, the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hands. And so there were these three ties. And so in the Old Testament, a godly man or a godly woman would know that if they had committed a little bit more than 20% of their income, hey, that's a that's a good hefty amount. It's pretty hard to feel like you're sort of self-focused when you're giving away 20%. It's hard to sense that your treasures are on earth when a whole lot of your treasure is going there. I mean, I could get a whole lot more treasure if I weren't doing that. Okay? I mean, you know, in our world, it would be, suppose you wanted to uh, put a $15,000 swimming pool in your backyard. Okay? And so you're going to do a little bit of math about how long is it going to take us. We're not going to put it on a credit card because we don't want to pay 18%. And we're just going to save up for it, okay? And so how long before we'll be able to buy this $15,000, you know, get the contractors out and start a $15,000 pool? All right, let's do our little math. Okay. Roughly, monthly income, monthly income, yeah, let's say about 5000 Okay? What are our monthly expenses? Yeah. 
Okay. Oh, we have $1,500 a month. We can save toward a $15,000 swimming pool. At $1,500 a month, how many months will it take to get to 15,000? Divide 15,000 by 50. 10 months. Hey, we can be in that pool by next summer. Okay. Now, the godly men and the godly women in the Old Testament, the math was a little different. They would start out with, let's say, the 5,000, but 20% of their income was going to the Lord. Treasures in heaven. We care, first of all, before we care about the swimming pool, we care about, is our money doing what God wants? All right, so we're working with 4000 We have our $3,500 expenses, which means that uh, we've got 500 a month that we can accumulate. Now, at 500 a month, how long before you have that swimming pool? There's the difference where your heart is. We're willing to wait three summers because we care more about what our money's doing for God. That's the dominant thought that Jesus is saying. Care first of all. Have some confidence. Now, tithing is a useful area to shoot for. My own feeling is if somebody is moving into the 6 7% of giving to the Lord, that the Lord is starting to get a hold of their heart and pretty soon they start moving up to 8% or 9%. A church I pastored not too long ago, the elder, an elderly gentleman, he said he's never known anyone who gave 10% that didn't move beyond it. There is just something about that blessing that the Lord brings into your life that moves you beyond it. But I'm real happy if somebody's moving in the 5 or 6% because that's saying they're pushing. They're starting to say, hey, Here's the indication that this could have been spent on me, but no, I care about God. So that's the dominant thought. Let your first thought, your uppermost thought, what is my money doing for God ahead of what it's doing for myself? Now, what would be the two benefits that come to your life? What are the two reasons why we should have that dominant thought? The first reason, Jesus will tell us immediately, is because whatever your money is doing for God is permanent. It's lasting. It's to your credit for eternity. Whatever you do on earth, as beneficial and as enjoyable as it may be, it won't last. It's very impermanent. It just kind of dissipates. And that's forever. This is what he means when he goes on to say, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because they are impermanent. They don't last. They are vulnerable. They're fragile. Moth, rust, they destroy the treasures. Thieves break in and steal. On the other hand, treasures in heaven, neither moth nor rust destroys. Thieves do not break in and steal. And when he talks about moth, rust, and thieves, He's looking at the three ways in his culture in which money was gone. Riches evaporated. Okay? Moths was, we read in the Bible about somebody who has closets full of clothing. He's got bolts of linens, uh, uh, fabrics, you know. 
And all it takes is one little moth to start on the top of that bolt of fabrics and nibble, 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 nibble. That's the end of that treasure. I, I used to have this burgundy sweater. V-neck, cut off sleeves. And underneath it, I had a long sleeve, burgundy striped white shirt with bold burgundy stripes going down. Put, put that outfit on, look in the mirror. All right. Looking good. One day I took that out, put it on, looked in the mirror. There's a little hole right there. White shirt showing through burgundy. Some moth. I went to Nell. I said, can you, can you kind of sew this? And she's pretty good about this kind of thing, but it... It just looked pinched. I never wore that sweater again. Gone. Moths. Rust, Jesus says, can corrode. And he's thinking about how metals, coins of that day, diminished in value because chemicals or wear and tear, much like our wedding rings, get so thin sometimes that the band actually breaks. There is a, a corrosion. There is an eating away. Okay? So much of our wealth, it just sort of gets corroded. It sort of lessens in value. Okay? And then brand new carpet and then some kid spilled, spilled Kool-Aid on it. Oh, you know? Uh, this wonderful smartphone that I have. It does all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just came out with the iPhone 8. Oh. Yeah, this, yeah, this second rate. It just doesn't last. That new car smell goes away. The car gets a scratch in some parking lot. Just, and then he talks about thieves breaking in and stealing. And we think, oh, I got double bolt locks, I got chain links, I got security guard, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a month ago, Equifax was hacked. And every one of us is wondering whether we are among the millions of account information that was stolen. Our social security our credit card numbers, our names, and our addresses. And after the horse is out of the barn, we're trying to think about how do I lock that from happening? And as I've read, there is no secure, sure, guaranteed way of stopping something like that from even happening again. And besides that, the horse is already gone. And you say, I haven't noticed any Friday night activity on my account. And that's because the thieves are just hanging on to your treasure and maybe next year they're going to start using it. Hey, I don't, I'm as scared as you are. Okay? The point Jesus is saying is, hey, anything on earth is impermanent. Okay? Now, I hope that isn't going to be true. I'm reminded of the text, if the Lord doesn't guard the house, the watchmen guard in vain. So, Lord, guard me. There isn't any watchman that I can put out that is going to be secure. It is in your hands. But Jesus is saying, if you think about treasure in heaven, 
whatever happens is permanent. You give to support the ministry of grace and part of that funds is used for the children's papers that are worked on each morning when they come. And the children look forward to coming and working on the papers and doing the games and hearing the stories. And, uh, you know, in elementary school, the boys sit by the girls and they're just good friends, okay? (laughs) Then they get into junior high school and they don't sit by each other. The girls sit over here and the boys sit over here, okay? And the boys pull the hair of the girls and the girls giggle and talk and look at the boy. (laughs) And the boys think, what do I do now? What do I do now? Okay? They get into high school and all of a sudden it's, uh, can I sit by you? Okay? And then the money that you're giving maybe supports some scholarships and they go up to Hume Lake. And up at Hume Lake, one of the boys and one of the girls gets challenged to, hey, God has put his claim on my life. And they say to the Lord, I'm going to train myself and I'm going to serve you. And it turns out they both end up at the same Christian school. And they hear the same chapel messages and they have the same Bible teachers and all of a sudden they find themselves sitting by each other and now they're eating together in the cafeteria and pretty soon about the third or fourth year they know that they're going to marry each other and they're going to go to Wycliffe and they're going to learn how to translate some language and eventually they're going to translate an unknown language into the word of God and an entire culture is going to come to Christ and in heaven there are going to be tens of thousands of believers and your name is going to be on that credit. That's permanent, my friend. Or maybe it's a couple here in your church. Young couple. Second baby coming. First baby has just got health problems. Second baby is draining. Husband lost the job. It's been a couple of months looking hard. Medical expenses. They don't have the ability to pay. It's either pay the, pay the medical expenses or pay the rent. And all of a sudden, great discouragement. And maybe she's thinking, you know, mom and dad are saying I can come and live with them. You go up to one of the pastors, and you know this, and you say, here's $2,000 in cash, $2,100 bills. I want you to give it to that couple, but I I don't want you to tell them where it came from. Just say that somebody that loves them in the name, and that Jesus loves them, just wants them to have joy in life. And that's just enough to get them over the hump. And they go on to serve the Lord and become an active leader within this church. My friend, that's permanent. So the first reason Jesus says, care more about what your money doing for God because treasure in heaven never is lost. There's a second benefit that comes to your life. Caring more about what your money for God is actually the key to a spiritual life. Now, that sounds like a out there statement, but it really is the door that opens up spiritual growth. Apart from that, spiritual growth is stunted and does not go on. Caring more is at the heart of a walk with God. Now, this is what Jesus is saying. He goes on to make this point that the second reason, in addition to the fact that it's permanent, It has an impact on my heart and it spiritually draws me into the presence of God. This is how he puts it in verse 21. 
after saying, Lay up treasures in heaven, verse 21. Where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be. Wherever your money is, that's where your heart is. That's where your interest is. That's where... We usually think about the opposite. We usually think if you can get somebody's heart, their treasure will follow. Where the heart is, that's where the treasure will come. I teach at Biola Talbot. Uh, If one of you says, hey, you, you teach at Talbot? I've always wondered what it was like. And I say, hey, drop by sometime. I'll give you a little tour around. And so you do, and I give you a little bit of a tour, and you see, hey, this is really a great place. They're doing a great work training people for work, for the Lord's work. I said, yeah, see, I've got your heart. All of a sudden, you're impressed. You think, this is terrific. I say, maybe you might consider donating something to the school. But I get your heart. I get your treasure. Jesus says, no. Get the treasure. Then you'll get the heart. The heart follows the treasure. The Dodgers have won the division, are probably heading to the Super Bowl. (laughs) World Series, two or three weeks from now. And let's say they're going to end up playing the Boston Red Sox. World Series. Now, you live in California, Los Angeles, yeah, you're probably in favor of the Dodgers winning the World Series. Okay. But you got a friend. He's from Boston. It turns out he's out here on business during the last game of the World Series. The series is tied three to three. Best of seven. This game, number four, win will solve it. Now, he's over at your house that evening to finish off watching the game. Now, the Dodgers are such a strong team. They're three to one odds to win the series, Okay. But this is Red Sox fans. There's nobody like Red Sox fans. And he's a true believer. He just knows the Red Sox are going to take this fourth game. He's got $500 bet on this game. And if they win it, he gets $1,500. He's in your living room eating your popcorn watching the game. Hey, you know, it's a nice game. Hope the Dodgers win. Yeah. Ah, him. Bottom of the seventh, man on second and third. Red Sox batter up. Ump calls a called third strike. You blind bat! Anybody could say, look at the replay. It shows that the thing was outside that box. (laughs) Bottom of the ninth. Red Sox are still down one run. Red Sox manager is bringing in a closer, a relief pitcher. No, don't bring him in. Don't bring him in. The first two batters are lefty. His ERA against lefty is 7.94. It's pathetic. Where's his heart? His heart is worth $500 there. Okay. Nell and I have been supporting a missionary uh, in Guatemala for several decades. It's her college roommate. And we've been just part of her support for her. You know, if any news is going on in Central America, eh, unless it has the word Guatemala in it. If it's Guatemala, I read it. If it's Honduras, I don't know where Honduras is. (laughs) But I know where Guatemala is. I have tens of thousands of dollars of treasure in Guatemala. Where your treasure is, 
That's where your heart is also. You want your heart to move toward God? Treasure, you are worthy. I am obedient. I honor you. I care about what your work. I look for your blessing in my life. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's permanent. You'll find your heart being drawn into God's presence. You say, Don, that sounds good. It does. It really sounds good. I wish I could do it. But you say, but I can't. I don't, I don't have the money. I can't. There's nothing there. And I grant you, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, there's an old saying that expenses rise to meet the amount of money available. And if we've had money, whatever money we've had available, we have allowed our expenses to rise and we're tapped out. You, if that may be your case, and yet your heart says, but I, I want to do that, I want to do that. You might be interested in what a friend of mine, uh, his experience. Uh, years ago, when Nell and I moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, I was going to, we were, I had been called to pastor Scottsdale Bible Church. And uh, it, when we moved to Scottsdale, this, it turned out this was our very first home. Up until then, we lived in apartments. And so we were real excited about, oh, we're going to actually own a home in a neighborhood and have neighbors. <laughs> They're probably going to come over and bring us a cake, you know. Nobody came over. Nobody. And, and, and in Arizona, everybody has really high walls because they've got a swimming pool on the other side. And if you want to see your neighbors, you have to jump up above the, the wall to see over into it. Nobody came. Later on, we found out it's because they heard that a priest had been moved, was moving in. And they thought, what kind of a priest has kids? Okay. And uh, anyway, it just it, you know, it took a long time before the neighbors just kind of even got neighborly. Well, after about eight or nine months, not the house next to us, but the house just on the other side of that, two doors down, a couple our age with a couple of kids our age, they were moving in. And we thought, they're not going to go through what we went through. And so the very first day, while the ramp was still out of the moving van, we were down there uh, in the midst of all of their boxes and furnitures and everything, and we were sitting in their living room, and we were getting acquainted. Okay? And we invited them to our house for dinner that night. And in Arizona, before the utilities are turned on, you're real glad to get into somebody's air-conditioned house for a nice dinner. And so they were glad to accept that. So anyway, we're sitting in their house, and we're talking, getting acquainted. And uh, I asked Tom, their name were Tom and Ginger. I asked Tom a question men always ask each other. What do you do? What, what's your job? And Tom went on to explain that he was a CPA for one of the good accounting firms in downtown Phoenix. Now, I know when I asked him that, I knew he was going to ask me the same question pretty soon. And I, I hadn't figured out what I was going to say yet. Okay? <laughs> so a little later on, he says, Oh, Don, what, what do you do? And I said, Oh, I pastor a church not too far from here. And I just thought, Oh, that, that sounded pretty good. <laughs> it just flew by. No big deal. <laughs> Tom went. I mean, it, his wife looked at him and thought, she tried to keep the conversation going. I mean, he was out. He finally surfaced and he said, I don't know what to say to you. 
I don't know what to say to you. If I invite you down to watch a ball game, do I offer you a beer? I don't know. I said, ah, Tom, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. All right, that was our first introduction to Tom and Ginger. People who did not know the Lord had no clue, okay? We invited them to church. They'd never come, never come. They were old line denominational, and we were a Bible church. What do they do at the Bible church? Do they roll on the floor? We don't know. They didn't come, okay? Finally, Nell was able to coax Ginger to come to one of our women's activities on a weekend. And apparently our women behaved themselves because Ginger was encouraged that we were normal and was, came back, you know, next Sunday uh, or a week later and actually showed up with the kids at church. Tom did not come. We found out later that as soon as she got home, her mother called her. Ginger, what was it like at the Bible church? Mom, it was just plain church. Okay. Ginger starts coming pretty regularly. Tom comes about once every five or six weeks, not showing much interest at all. Okay. Uh, then I discovered that Tom kind of was interested in softball. We had two church teams, and I worked it out with the coaches that I could be on a particular team, and I would invite Tom if he wanted to join the team. Well, yeah, that sounded good. Sounded good. And so every Tuesday night, Tom and I would go to the park, and we'd play softball with our church team. And that encouraged Tom to come more often because he got to know some of the other young guys. He'd show up for the Sunday school class. And when they'd come in, they'd say, Hey, for sale, baby! <laughs> three for four! Three for four! Yeah. Tom could not catch a pop fly. He was okay at the plate. But anything that went up in the air, he just spun around. And no, we just, Come on, you guys, help him out. <laughs> Converge and catch that ball. Anyway, we started doing that. Okay, the second year, and now Tom's coming pretty regularly, okay? Second year, he and I are driving. He's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. On the way there, he says, hey, I put $5 in the offering plate on Sunday. Can you believe that? Me, Tom Fassell. <laughs> I put $5 in the offering plate. I'm thinking to myself, that's peanuts. If everybody did that, we might as well close the doors. I mean, we, you know. But I didn't say anything. I just said, hey, Tom, that's great. Because I know where he's coming from. He's coming from. All right. A little later on, some months go by, Tom figures out that is peanuts. And something in his heart wants to do better. Wants to go to the Lord. But he doesn't have the money. Okay? And here's what he came up with. He said to me as we were moving, he said, hey, you know what I'm going to do? Every raise I get, half of it goes to the family, half of it I'm going to add to my giving to the Lord. Family will enjoy a little bit of an uptick, but a good hunk of that is going to go to the Lord. And he said, every installment payment that I'm making, if I make the last $300 payment on a car, that's $300 that is not being spoken for anywhere else. I'm going to put that to it also. And Tom had figured it out over a period of some years or some months, he would have his giving up to where he knew his heart was moving toward God. A year or so later, we left. I went to teach at Dallas Seminary, and we got word that uh, Ginger was singing in the choir, and Tom was one of the ushers as their heart was coming toward the Lord. If you have a desire to do something permanent for God, 
If something in your heart wants to grow in closeness and honor and joy with the Lord, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. They're permanent, and you'll find your heart being drawn toward God. Father, we thank you for being so good to us, giving us all things richly to enjoy. We thank you that you guard us when we cannot. You protect us. But we also know that you are such a wonderful God and there is something that tests our own desire, our own obedience, our own willingness and hunger to grow close to you. And so we take Jesus' words as the wisdom and the path and we commit ourselves to it. In Jesus' name, amen.